Episode 7, Potency, Mentorship, and Receiving What Others Give. I'm your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, and you're listening to Dr. Chris DeVillier's Perspective. For doctors who want a thriving practice and abundant home life, listen as your host, Dr. Justin Trosclair, goes behind the curtain and interviews doctors and guests about real-world triumph, struggles, practical tips, and entertainment on this episode of A Doctor's Perspective. I asked for feedback and I got it. One of my best friends since undergrad at LSU, Richard, I really respect his opinion. And he said, hey, you know, I was listening to the podcast right after another one. And there's a spot in your intro music that is just, whoo, it's kind of loud. I said, okay, okay. And then what they say is if, if one person says a complaint, it probably means other people as well. So if you may notice the last couple of weeks, we reduced that noise. Actually, I just took it off. Let me know what you think. Again, this is this is an ever-evolving podcast. You know, certain things will disappear over time, and based on feedback, we might add things, keep them, remove them. So, the more feedback I get, the better I can make this show for you. I'd like to get him on one day. We just got to figure out how, based on his expertise and what he does, how that can relate and how the doctors can um, use it. So we'll see. But today's guest, she has been learning about business building since about 13 years old at her grandpa's store. She explains to us what naturopath is, her approach to clients, how to choose the correct herbs over others. She talks about her ever-evolving role as becoming the mentor to a younger generation and has some really great relationship advice from her long marriage. So we do cover a lot of ground in this hour. The show notes can be found at a doctorsperspective.net slash zero seven. Please welcome to the podcast and let's go hashtag behind the curtain with the current president of the Louisiana Health Freedom Coalition, Doctor of Naturopath, Dr. Chris DeVilliers. Welcome to the show, Dr. Chris DeVilliers, Doctor of Naturopath. Hi there, Justin. It's great to see you. Thank you. Same here. What is a naturopathic doctor and, and why did you pursue this profession? A naturopathic doctor is going with all the modalities of natural health. So more of we do no harm, we're traditional naturopaths, and we're going to work with the air, the diet, the exercising, nutrition. We're going to go with more of the modalities of what are your everyday lifestyle, and then we'll incorporate herbs, whether or not it's of the Chinese descent or Ayurveda or it could be American grown or homeopathies. So those are the modalities that we bring to the table. And we are considered traditional naturopaths rather than we are not physicians. Okay. So that's a distinction in the laws and in the philosophy of your profession. Correct. That's correct. Okay. Okay. So how did you decide to become a, a naturopath versus anything else? Well, in my 20s, I had a daughter who would have been diagnosed with ADD, and uh, today it's called ADHD. They keep turning, changing the medical terminology, and I had decided that I did not want to go down the medical route, so I started pursuing the natural way. In doing a hair analysis on my daughter when she was, I think she was about eight or nine years old, we found some information that was very uh, helpful in going forward. So therefore, we started going down the natural route and it became a hobby. So that's actually how I started in this career, just as a hobby and taking classes and learning for my family. 
it seems like a lot of people do that. It's they didn't plan to be what they are, but something in life kind of forced them to learn more. And like, oh, I can make money at this too and help other people with what the knowledge that I've learned. So that's, that's really interesting. Really interesting. Yeah. Yes, that's exactly how it goes in a lot of people's, uh, in, especially in this profession. You'll see they all have a wonderful life-changing story. Now, as far as you mentioned, you, you use herbs of American or Chinese, I'm, I'm guessing wherever you can find the, the special herbs. Is there a research, you know, everybody's all double blind research studies that prove that it works. Are these things backed up by uh, science? Okay, so a lot of some of the things are traditional that we have been using for over a thousand years. However, Yale University, uh, I have friends, a friend who did 20 years of studies at Yale University. So there are actual more and more scientific studies that are being, you know, proven like with gut health. As a matter of fact, this morning before I was getting on the call with you, I was reading something on, um, red reishi mushroom and they were talking about an actual scientific study of it helping with gut bacteria i am familiar that peppermint uh is a known now and probiotics that there was an actual tri- trial study done this is an internist that told me this mm-hmm. and that he had read all the information and so we are seeing more and more trial studies coming out to where we are having, you know, the documentation because we're 20 years into this in the United States where it's really becoming popular. So more and more people are actually studying. Okay. And I'm assuming peppermint would be like the oil and some kind of concentrate, correct? Um, well, we would automatically assume that. However, it could be peppermint tea. It could be peppermint in a uh, encapsulated. So we have to realize that a lot of our foods, that's one of the things with, you know, the supplements, it, it goes back to food. So peppermint, actually just the leaves grind up and put in a capsule can also be beneficial. Mm. So you're going to get the quantity of 500 leaves in one, one pill or something like that. So that actually gets the benefit. Correct. That's correct. Okay. And what would you um, consider your specialty uh, or is there specialties in naturopathic medicine? Is that what they call naturopathic medicine or is it, is it called something different? Yes, you can actually ter- you can actually use the term uh, safely because uh, okay. a lot of times I'll bring that up because uh, we are not licensure in our state, you know, in the in some of the states, we have a lot of different states. And in the state that I am, we do have a safe harbor bill. So I will be using the information from that safe harbor bill in order to bring that because of the state that I do reside in, which is Louisiana. Okay, so more on when we consider a specialty, some people will go into, you know, working with females and going more with their hormones. A lot of what I end up uh, doing a lot with is mind and gut. So I like the mind-body connection. And that's where I've um, used a lot of my modalities going forward. And then also I am or have taken a lot of courses in traditional Chinese medicine. So Mm -hmm. I do use the pulse, the tongue, the eyes, all these different modalities in going forward in doing the work that I do. Um, just the mind-body connection and also the traditional Chinese medicine because I like working more with people in the form of actually finding out physically, mentally, and spiritually what's going on with them and bringing those all to the table. 
Okay. And you can converse, have conversations and, and do an exam and, and like I said, look at the, the pulse and the tongue and the different uh, Chinese, the Chinese way, if you will. Uh, correct. Correct. The Chinese way of just, you know, looking at the body, scanning the body, because we have a whole list on like if the thinning of the hair, we have a whole list of body signs, um, whether or not a person carries weight in a certain area. How's that person's right leg or left leg? And these all go back to different minerals that might be deficient. So we really look at the whole the body as a whole, even when their gait is walking into our office. Mm-hmm. Of the way the hands are swinging on the side of the body. And in, in each one of those that you break down, it goes back to an actual organ. Okay. Okay. And that's where the, the actual schooling comes in in the textbooks to learn these types of things. Correct. Cause, uh, you know, we call them the different modalities or the lifestyle modifications. So we, mm. you know, we look at it and that's where the schooling comes in is to be able to, you know, sit in a class and all day learn 25 different ways eyebrows can grow and why are they growing that way. And so when you look at the eyebrows, that's actually telling you what deficiencies. So if the hair is wiry versus thin on the, you know, the center of the pupil and out, that's going to be more of a thyroid. So even just as simple as an eyebrow, we can be looking at it and knowing the different deficiencies that are going on in the body. See, and that's, that's really interesting because uh, we're, we're kind of trained and we don't look at those things, I think, as most doctors. Um, there are certain things we can see, like on the, if your nails are pitted or some obvious things like that, but we don't really define the, the details. And, you know, working in China, I've, I've seen our acupuncture, traditional Chinese medicine doctor, you know, he'll do some of these things with patients. And of course, I don't know. I don't know what he's doing. And then they'll prescribe these. Like I got a cold one time, and they gave me these little pills. And I'm like, man, this tastes like like Vicks. I was like, I wonder yeah. if Vicks is using the same ingredient. And so they're like, ah, I'm trying to get the translator to tell me. So what is this? And she's like, well, and I don't remember what it was anymore. And I was like, well, that that sure sounds similar to something else I've seen. So and they have all these little packets. They just put it in some water, and it dissolves. Yep. And sometimes it tastes like sugar. Sometimes it tastes oh, it tastes bad. Sometimes oh but yes, they've got all these remedies, and half the time you don't ever have to even get um, Western medicine unless it's really bad. So um, there's definitely you know there's something to it. We just we just don't learn a lot about it in our normal programs. Correct. And that, that's where this becomes very interesting because the whole face, we, you know, we say face, tongue and nail. Mm -hmm. So when we take this, you know, four days of consecutive face, tongue and nail, you could spend three and four hours on just one part of the face of what's going on with it. And that's how the Chinese doctors, you know, authentically, that's how they looked at things. And like we say, it just gets out of the textbooks because of the simple fact that they don't have time within a seven minute. I think a nurse practitioner has seven minutes in a room with a person, whereas a doctor may only have three. Wow. Whereas we spend on our first consultation, we're spending an hour and a half with the client. Very good. And do you manage, treat like diabetes and hypertension and um, all those types of disorders or, or what? Because we're not licensure, we're not given the right to treat or to be able to um, manage those. What we do is we start teaching the person uh, what they can do differently within their lifestyle to start 
having the results of what their body has been doing and get mm-hmm. a different result. So if a person is diabetes, we may just start educating them on the function of the pancreas. People mm-hmm. forget that we have a pancreas head and a pancreas tail. And what are the functions? We will go through it. We'll start bringing up all the different enzymes and how it breaks down in the body and why the body's actually getting the end result that it's getting. So a person may have a foot that's hurting them that may have diabetes. So then we would um, send them to a reflexology. We would actually send them out to someone else who could actually help them and get the circulation going. Uh, we may ask them to do foot soaks. or So what we're doing is we're just educating. We're educating the, the client on how they can go home and make a difference because they're the ones ultimately that's going to change their health. Right, right. So can you recommend, I guess it depends on the state, like um, a CoQ10 or a Berbadine or a cinnamon or anything like that to help with some of the blood sugar levels or the heart health yes. and all that? So, so that's where we come in and we're very well educated on what, you know, like a berberine is going to be a single component, whereas, you know, cinnamon, we might come from the extract and the leaf or, you know, the bark. We're going to come from where the different components and the medicinal value that we have known historically to be used for thousands and thousands of years. So cinnamon has a lot more research today. However, when you go in the grocery shelf and you just buy cinnamon, you're only buying a food grade that wasn't even from the proper part of the plant in order to be medicinal. It has to be harvested at a certain time or certain seasons in order to have the highest compound in it of what we're looking for that compound to be able to give the body the nutrient that it's looking for. I think you just enlightened a lot of listeners today on that note because i think some people say i could just put some cinnamon on my eggs and some cinnamon (laughs) on my pancakes it's like no 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 it's not even not even close to the same um, properties that you're looking for correct you know today it's just um really mind-boggling how the social media takes things out of context and they'll just start i mean blowing up turmeric and, you know, coconut people are going oil on for everything, sh- <laughs> coconut oil for everything. Coconut oil is a coal oil. You shouldn't even be using it in the wintertime, according to Ayurvedic medicine. So, <laughs> you know, people don't know the breakdown of the components of why it becomes medicinal, medicinal and when it's not. So turmeric, you could go in the grocery shelf and everybody goes run and buy it. And it's a very hot spice mm-hmm. and don't realize why they end up belching and burping and you know, so I like to sometimes use a lot of synergistic properties where you have a formula that may have seven or eight different herbs in it to where you don't have just that one hot, hot herb coming at you for inflammation at one time. Just like when you can buy um, magnesium or calcium and it's, it's bound to different types of products. Yes. And it, it changes the absorbency and, and the use. And, you know, I've, I've heard, I don't know what exactly what it was, but let's just say like a, a cup of spinach. A cup of spinach today is not the same nutritional value because of the farming practices like 50 years ago. It might actually take 50 cups of spinach or something. Spinach. It, have you heard about that? What, what, what are your comments on that? Yes. Um, depending. On, okay. So each state in the United States has a different USDA 
So in other words, the, you, you know, we're all looking for this organic stamp, you know, from the USDA. Well, mm-hmm. California has a totally different organic stamp than Florida does. Really? Every state has a different guidelines to what considers is organic. So when a person shows me that, you know, oh, it's USDA organic, one of the things I do in a, a store, I might go back and look, okay, so which state does it come from and who's governing it? Because it's going to make a difference in the way in which the products, um, California has one of the strictest laws where you have that Prop 65 and a lot of the Chinese herbs can't even be sold in the, in uh, California because of the fact that you have such a high level of heavy metals in them. So mm. one of the companies that I uh, represent, we turn around and they reformulated it to the old, old traditional ways that Chinese uh, herbs were made. And it's into the teas where they taste horrible. And they turn around and dehydrated them correctly and got them encapsulated to where they wouldn't have all the high heavy metal content that most a lot of yellow dock is known to have the highest nutrient profile of iron. So that one actually cannot be sold in California. Interesting. And, I, and I'm pretty sure they said organic. There's different level, levels of organic uh, up to, I don't even know the numbers anymore, but sometimes it's 30% or 20% doesn't even have to be organic and it could still have some kind of organic label, correct? Yes, correct. So one of the companies that I deal with when we're, testing the organic powder that comes into, uh, to, you know, the plant, they're going to just run the test on all the products. We are not labeling it to be organic mm-hmm. because we're looking for all the ash byproduct not to be in, in the herb. We're looking for certain chemicals and fungus funguses not to be in that actual raw material. We are testing everything and we're testing it broader than a USDA organic label. So a lot of times we're all going towards this organic, organic, but if you're not looking at what they're actually testing for and what you, you just mentioned it very well, the different percentages are, you're going to be paying a higher price for something that possibly shouldn't even be at that uh, price. Very interesting. You know, I had heard um, Bulletproof Coffee. I don't know if you've heard of that brand. Oh, yeah. I, I've, they, he, he claims that it's, it's free of fungicides and all this stuff. And then I was listening to somebody who was uh, the opposite opinion. And they're like, what's he talking about? They, they have a whole process of making coffee that excludes the fungus for like decades. So what does he actually testing that the quote normal companies aren't testing and so it just kind of made me wonder I was like hmm I still like a lot of his products but the coffee part I was like I don't know if I need to buy his coffee um, well you know okay so this is one of the things I want you to uh, realize a lot of companies get started today and all they're doing is they're a third party they're going out and they're purchasing a lot of products that already exist so in other words I I've been very blessed to uh, go to Costa Rica several times where our 100% Arabic coffee comes from. Why? Because in Costa Rica, it's there is so many guidelines about the environment there. You Anything grown in that area is actually organic because you don't use pesticides. You would have, you would mess up their whole ecosystem. So I personally can go and buy some 
100% Arabic coffee from Costa Rica in bulk, package it with my name, hike the price up 15, I mean, 50, 100%. And I'm selling you that exact coffee. So I just purchased my coffee from Costa Rica. So you have a very valid point. Wow. All right. I just wrote that down. That sounds very interesting. Costa Rican coffee. Because all Costa Rican coffee, your ecosystem, the number one thing that goes on in Costa Rica is preserving the ecosystem, just like Hawaii would be. But most of the coffee that's 100% Arabic, which is going to be non-acidic because it's grown in alkaline soils. Ah. There we go. So sometimes we just need to know a little bit about culture and agriculture in different countries and find out why a product is beneficial at this certain level. Mm. So I hesitate to ask this, but I'm going to do it anyway, because I think you'll, you'll have a good answer for it. Um, <laughs> yeah. What would you say are the most common misconceptions about your profession? Ooh, okay. I got a good one. The other day I was, you know, just kind of moseying around the website, you know, um, Facebook and somebody put that bergamot, which is an essential oil, was good for weight loss. Well, as long as I've ever been in this industry, if I go look at bergamot, a person who's really feeble and not having any type of appetite, it's more for the you know, an appetite to increase and be able to have that at- appetite. So when they use the word appetite loss, they met for a feeble person and someone took this totally out of context and used it as a marketing tool. Mm, so, which is having the, the opposite effect. Which is having the exact opposite effect. So aromatherapy is an actual, the science of it. Mm-hmm. Essential oil usage is anybody can look at a book, read something, and turn around and say, oh, do use this for this and this for this. But then you still have to go back to the aromatherapy and know the science of the body. So therefore, you could be, there's a lot of misconceptions. We have a lot of our very big master herbalists right now who are, have decided finally to not keep their mouths um, clothes anymore. And when they're seeing different people, they're actually saying who's a credible and who's not, because a lot of us can just turn around and make a lot of marketing. Right now, there's people don't understand that only my company uses this term. Well, if only their company's using that term, that means they have a registered trademark towards it. And they are not actually, it's not maybe in the NAHA ga- guidelines, which is your National Holistic Aromatherapy Association. Hmm. So even in our herbal world, when a lot of people are using a lot of different information that doesn't go back to the basis of what has been used for hundreds and thousands of years, and they're using it for their own gain. Ah, well, weren't people smoking, like e-vaping essential oils for a little while? I didn't even, that one didn't come by me, Justin. Sorry. I, I don't even have a comment on that one because okay, I, I missed out on that one. <laughs> I saw that. I was like, what, what is happening over here? I was like, I, that's a, to me, I'm like, okay, speak up about that because um, it's probably harming the whole profession of natural. Anybody who's like, I want to be organic and natural. You're like, okay, but you're still smoking stuff that probably you shouldn't do anyway. Yeah. Cause the lungs are taking on the carcinogens. You know, one of, I really want to make a comment right here and one of the things that I find a lot, and 
we're seeing it right now that just happened with the hemp industry. Mm-hmm. And I've been buying hemp from a grower in Canada for over 15 years and been getting the three different grades of the hemp oil, his seeds, wonderful product. And you bring it in the United States, you start using it, and it becomes, I mean, this, what was it? Uh, I'm trying to remember what the DEQ turn around and came in. And now as of the 13th of January, you cannot even cross it across state lines. You're talking about, you know, smoking the oil or whatever. You can't even cross it across state lines because the DEQ came in and said it's a schedule one narcotic now. Really? Yes. Wow. So my knowledge of the way in which that I go, you know, come into the information, I was questioning a lot of like, Somebody was like, oh, you need to carry this oil, you know, this CBD oil, you know, oil. And, and I'm doing, I do have it. I have, you know, the hemp. That's the way you want to, you know, get it. And oh, yeah, but no, that I said, well, it can't come from the female plant into my state. It's illegal. <laughs> so you can't tell me that this is right. <laughs> and I kept, you know, going back with people. And I had a lot of different controversies with them because of the simple fact that, no, it has to come from the male plant and not the female plant and only you go in to these Colorado states. For those. <laughs> yeah, you gotta, you gotta go to a different state for that. Oh my goodness. Mm. All right, all right. So based on the, the, the common concerns that, that patients ask you day in and day out, what would you consider a, a mindset or strategy that, that sets you apart from other maybe naturopaths or what makes you a kind of a unique provider? I raised my family in natural health. My father took us to the health food store when we were growing up as children. I really have lived, eaten, and bred this industry. In my 20s, this is what I did for my children. This is how, you know, we took Coca-Colas out of our home a long time ago. Sorry about their, (laughs) you say that, sorry about not supporting you. It didn't mean that they didn't have one if we went eat out as a treat. They could make those decisions. However, so what I bring to the table is 40 years of actually, you know, living it. And when we, you know, I look at where I'm at today, I started off as a passionate, you know, we hear a lot of this word mompreneur today. (laughs) I started off as a passionate mompreneur. No, I don't have children now, but does that not qualify me to be a mompreneur? (laughs) I still have the children. They didn't just, you know, fall off the planet. But anyway, because I literally had a younger girl tell me, you're not a mompreneur. Because I'm not a mom, I'm not a young mom raising a child with all her pain right now. Uh, I'll be uh, a grandmompreneur then. I'm, I'm the grandmompreneur, boo. <laughs> I'm on the next generation. So, so one of the things, you know, when I first started out, all of my clients were a lot based on the younger generation at that time because I was walking the ADD. So I was attracting autism, ADD, you know. I mean, all in this realm of what was going on with children. Well, Mm -hmm. now that I'm on the menopausal side, I'm attracting a lot of the people with a lot of these viruses and bacterias that are just in an uproar. So when we talk about the viruses, you know, I'll use the word chronic fatigue syndrome. Mm -hmm. In the medical community, it's known as Epstein-Barr virus. We are seeing just rampants of people being so exhausted, so tired, with all these autoimmune issues going on today. So 
a lot of that is what I have been seeing in the change, this change that happens. I find every five years we're seeing different, a lot of differences on what's going on in the health industry and what we are facing and how we're helping people. Ten years ago, this this didn't even exist. Somebody just wanted to know how to go and take care of themselves. Somebody just wanted to know and, you know, excuse the uh, word that I'm going to use, but, you know, it is a emojo today. It's like the little poop. Somebody just wanted to know how to poop. I'm, I'm not going, but every four days. Things were really simple. Mm-hmm. And what I'm seeing as we evolve is we are just opening a can of worms of so many people not feeling well, just want to not be so tired, not be so overwhelmed. Right. Now, how, if someone wants to do your profession, if they're a student, maybe graduating high school, debating on what they want to do with their life, or maybe they're 30 and need a career change, or maybe they just finished naturopathic school, what would you recommend for these type of people to, to get where you are today? One of the blessings that I had in coming up in my industry is I had a mentor. I had an internship that I did. Um, I can use her name today and everything. She's, we've, she's passed away. Um, last year she passed away and it was herbs, et cetera. I drove one hour to go to Baton Rouge. I did an intern, internship and everybody wants to get out of school in our industry. Some places will, suggest, you know, or have an internship, very few places do. Mm -hmm. And if they aren't teaming up with someone who has walked this road, I'm not saying that they, you know, can't be where where we're at today. But this takes the journey. I I know you're very much aware of when you came back to Brobridge, you had to go out there and meet the people in order to build a business. And I tell people, if you're not starting to build your business and your clientele and your email list, the whole time you're in school, then when you get out, who are you going to be calling upon? So one of the things I, I highly recommend people is find you a mentor, find you a place where you can do the internship. I've come, many of my uh, associates that have come through my business are all successful business owners today. They mm-hmm. have, they did not realize when they were walking through my place working for me that they were doing an internship. They afterwards, now one of them's 10 years later, and they're all reaping the benefits and they're all coaches and teaching other people or business owners how to be in this business today. And they look back. As a matter of fact, I I interviewed with one of them uh, two weeks ago, what they're calling these master classes today. And I use these terms laughingly because sometimes I have to look them up. Um, they didn't exist when I was coming up. It's all new terminologies. I, and if I go look it up in the dictionary, it's not what they're meaning it to be. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so I'm doing shoes. I got a whole new something to learn anyway. So one of the things that I would highly recommend for the up and coming person who wants to be in this industry be passionate about it. If you're not passionate about it and you're in here, just for the money gains of it, you're probably in the wrong reason. This takes a lot of heart, a lot of work, a lot of dedication. It is, you have a lot of caring and uh, I call it team building to do with your clients because this is not a one time you're going to meet this person and you're going to give them an herb and they're not going to see you anymore. This right, is building a relationship. relationships. 
This is building relationships because they're going to have bad days where they just need somebody to talk to them on the phone. So it is a, I literally interviewed this girl probably about a week ago and she's coming, you know, oh, I'm in the medical industry. I want to become a naturopath. And I, I ask them, first of all, I say, how much money do you want to make? And they throw this number out. And so then we break down how many days, how many weeks do you want off in a year? Okay. They write that down. So then I make them calculate how much they're going to have to charge an hour. And they look at me and they say, oh my God. And I said, well, what other streams of income are you going to produce? What else are you going to do? Mm-hmm. Are you going to write? Are you going to uh, sell classes? Are you? G-? And I start throwing all this at them and they're looking at me like, I just wanted to do this, get out of here and see patients, you know, and they use the word patient and I do, boo, you can't use that word either. They're your clients yeah. and they want to see people every seven minutes like they're you know, what the example they're used to and think that that's how they're going to do natural health. And I said, well, in seven minutes, they haven't even filled out the intake form. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You can't just write here, take, take two pills of cinnamon a day and call me in a month. <laughs> Correct. It's really interesting. The misperception of the work that goes behind a naturopath that people have today. Yeah. And I'm guessing, uh, much like chiropractic and, and whatnot, you probably don't have the mainstream uh, cultural authority yet either. Oh, and that's, no. That's we, always an uphill battle. Yes, yes, definitely. Well, I want to transition. You kind of mentioned this top two or three marketing tactics that have brought the most uh, return on your investment. Is it consistent? And you kind of touched on while in school trying to reach out and mm. and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I'm guessing, like you said, mm-hmm. building a list, maybe social media. Uh, what, what's been working well for you? You know, one of the things that we have to come to realize when I was coming up, it's a totally, I mean, it has totally changed of what's existing today. So I want to use Hay House Industry as an example. They're known to have one of the biggest email database. So when I came in, it was all an email database. We built, so if you've been seeing clients for 15 years, you have a pretty substantial email database. You better. When Oh, you better. Yeah. (laughs) And you better have it backed up because when you somebody in your staff accidentally deletes it, Uh you're going you're going to rebuild it. Uh (laughs) Uh Oh, you know, or have MailChimp in place, which didn't even exist when I uh, was coming up. So, okay, so email mark, you know, email marketing is absolutely one of them. The other one at the end of the day in our industry is called word of mouth. You have to build relationships. You Mm -hmm. have to get people talking about you. What are you doing? I have put newspaper ads. I have, you name every marketing. We've done it. I've yet to get benefits from it. So one of the the avenues I'm looking at today or seeing today is groups. They're making these private groups and it's like, I hate to say it like this, but they're dating online. They're dating their girlfriends. You know, it's like just, they say, you need to show up every day. You need to, you know, be interactive. And you see people build a lot of audience. And people forget that for every hundred people that's in your audience, 3% is your actual clients. Oh. So, you know, so you better start putting a substantial database together in order to accomplish that. So one of the things that I find the most beneficial 
is staying in contact with your people that you currently have. And yes, they start off as family. They start off as your classmates and friends and family. And you have to build those relationships. In today's, you know, we do MailChimp. We have the website. You have, um, let's see, what else do we have? We have a lot. We have, you know, you name it. I'm even on Snapchat. Not that I do the business thing on Snapchat, but it's more about being present in the 20-something or 30-something generation. It's a personal brand. It's a personal branding, exactly. So building that personal brand. And one of the things when I first came into this industry, I purchased a trademark before I had even had an LLC because I ran my business off of just a Schedule C on your tax return. People forget that that trademark, you own that. You have an LLC and somebody else decides to use that name and trademark it, then you can't use it. So right. I see a lot of people go backwards in business just because uh, it's not being the business side is not being taught. That's mm-hmm. where I was stronger. I was actually stronger on the business side because of my background, because of the training that I came from. And that's what I bring to the table in, you know, a little bit more of a strength. So when people are starting out or coming into this industry, the minute you start school is the minute you start actually building and every single thing that you're learning about you need to be putting on social media. You need to, you need to already be branding, building that brand mm. and already be letting people know where you're going and what direction you're going in. So it starts the minute you start. I like that. I, I, you don't hear that too often that to start while you're in school, but that's a really, that's a big nugget right there. What, um, you mentioned being good at business background. Did you take any classes like a, a speeching class or like a business class or have a coach in that area? Or how did you develop uh, those types of skills or what could you recommend for other people? Correct. Well, I did take speech in class. I did, uh, even though I'm Cajun, you know, I, I know I have that wonderful thick accent and I don't pronounce everything correctly. I was raised so you could almost call me bilingual. I was raised in a French speaking home. Mm. Um, so a lot of times, you know. They wanted to change the way in which I my dialogue dialect was uh, the way you pronounced words. And then they would realize, oh, you understand the French words. I said, yeah, I could start speaking French to you right now. And it would sound wonderful because I have that background. That's what my ear heard. So I did take speech in high school. I um, have taken Dale Carnegie classes. I've taken different trainings. I highly recommend people do that. Mm-hmm. Because it does get you up in front of people. It does get you understanding what you should and should not be saying. Then, in addition to that, I worked, um, I've been working since I'm 13 years old. My grandfather owned a grocery store. So that's where my background comes from. My grandfather okay. owned a grocery store. I was raised all my life in a grocery store. At 13 years old, I went to work. I worked at that location for three years. I was a waitress. I was taking care of people. You know, so if I look back, it's like I I started learning how to take care of people at a very young age. After that, I worked 27 years with a company. Mm -hmm. And in there, I did a lot of leadership, business training. I was an inventory control manager. You name a place in that business. And I learned it, got certified in it and ended up. So what I call 
my training is, you know, how you get on <laughs> on the Facebook sometimes in the world of hard knocks, <laughs> you know, uh-huh. it's like, so I was, um, and this is the first time I'm ever going to bring this up in a public conversation. Okay. I, I'm a teen, teen mom. I had a baby when I was, um, well, she, I was actually 18 years old, got, about, got pregnant at 17. One of the things that people don't know about me was I was more or less what you call homeschooled. Uh, mm. My senior year, I did a lot, almost pretty much all my classes at home. So I come from a lot of people who are homeschooled. Actually, a lot of people in this industry or who are homeschooled end up in the natural health industry because it's it's very widely recognized in your Amish community, in your Mennonites, in a lot of the areas in which that people take care of other people. In our Cajun culture, people take care of other people. That's what we did growing up. You didn't mm-hmm. just run to a doctor. So in being homeschooled, I've always had the way in which, you know, when I was in my 20s, I he's dead today, but I took Charles Givens classes about finances and stock market. And I mm. own stock since I'm 17 years old. I've done things totally different than getting in debt out of, you know, with the college age, get in debt, all these loans. Right. I didn't do it like that. I learned life. Then I saved my money. And I found the school I could afford. <laughs> so I really, I really did things opposite. However, my grandfather taught me bookkeeping. I, I took bookkeeping in high school. Today, I don't, today, I don't even think they take the proper bookkeeping in high school, which was probably what is taught in college today. I have to actually, I actually taught two people how to actually run my QuickBooks. And they were becoming accountants or finance, you know, having a finance degree. And I'm doing, you didn't even learn how to do this. <laughs> so, so you have a nice, unique background in that period. You know, your family grew up in that. Yes. You had a, a, a younger pregnancy and yeah. a single mom situation. You may not have been a single yes. mom. but um, Yes, I was a single mom. Yes. So the single mom situation and you yes. did what you had to do and postponed the Correct. education, postponed what you had to do. And then now yes. you are where you are. Correct. And that's you know, motivation. That's motivation. And in my 30s was when I saw the company that I was working for. They were going into chapter 13. I knew I had to make some decisions. I had been talking about going back to school for a long time. And, you know, eventually everybody started saying, she'll never go. She's just talking about it. Uh-oh. But they didn't even know I wasn't even telling people I was actually in school and doing a lot of what I needed to do. And when it happened, they were like, you're almost finished. And I shared this recently, you know, sometimes we need to keep things a secret for a little longer because people will destroy your dreams. Big time. Big they, time. They, like, they, they like doing it. You know, I can't tell you how many people you, you talk to and they're like, oh, I'm getting my uh, MBA in like a semester. You're like, I didn't know you were in school. You're like, yeah, I've been, I felt like it's probably something I need to do. And you're like, oh, well, what have I been doing lately? <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> We'll switch gears a little bit. Do you have any five-year goals that you are really looking forward to? When I read that question on, uh, you know, that you had sent in to me, I was like, wow, I'm always looking at like, you know, where I want to be in five years, 10 years, 15 years. I look at those often. And one of the things this year, I had more major changes. And I, when I say major changes, I've lost in the last two months, three 
of my mentors in this natural health industry. Oh, man. And what I'm coming to realize, though, and it's a rude, you know, it's kind of this rude awakening, at, you know, being over 50, that I am becoming the people, the person who people will be looking up to. Mm-hmm. I am transitioning. So one of the things I did last year was take a lot of leadership classes because of the simple fact that I knew something energetically was stirring and going to change. I didn't know what it was going to look like. I didn't know where we were going with this. So in this stir or this change that's happening where I see myself in five years, Justin, is, you know, it's kind of like my grandmother sitting in church and she said, well, where's the old people? And they said, you are the old people. (laughs) (laughs) So I will be the person people are looking up to. I will be that person that needs to transition into being the mentor, finding that group of people. You know, a lot of people like to use um, the word tribe today. I, I never really... You know, it's more of like the community, that community. So we are going to be the leaders. We're going to be the ones stepping forward to people are going to be looking at us to drive the industry where it needs to go. And Mm -hmm. one of the things I wholeheartedly believe in is sustainability. And if we over harvest everything, we're not going to have sustainability. And, you know, to be able to drive a company and just have a hundred thousand bottles in your closet or in your garage is not what this industry is about. So where I see myself in five years is probably being the voice of the reasoning of, you know, no, don't overuse echinacea. No, don't overuse. So we'll be the ones to be the voice, to be advocating towards this industry about sustainability, because it won't be here to forever if we don't step up to the plate and and do that in the community that I live in. I've put trash cans throughout the community. It sounds like something simple, but if we don't put trash cans, then the trash ends up in the bayous, which we need water. If we don't think water is important, go to California. (laughs) You'll find out how important water is. So we need to have these clean avenues in order for us to be moving forward. So I guess the way the question I look at it is, where do I see myself in five years at people looking more towards me rather Mm -hmm. than me looking at people who were, you know, helping me get where I need to go? I'm becoming that person that people will be looking for, for the examples, for where do we go and how do we move into that direction? Will we see a DNC, De Villiers Naturopathic Coaching uh, <laughs> s- seminar sometime, uh, five ninety five a month. <laughs> you know, it's so amazing that you're saying that. Um, and one, uh, so one of the things on the dream list or the, you know, I'm looking at right now is, um, I know Google has this Google University, so I'm really looking into that and seeing if I, uh, to get my classes that I have taught in the past past put on there Mm. and start driving more into that direction. And now that I've said that to the public, I guess I have to get that, you know, moving. I guess it's a little pressure there. Because when I looked at all the different... Yes. Well, (laughs) when I looked at all the ways in which that you could spend your time, I could be on social media every day, all the time. But is that... I have the... Not to say that... 
you are where you're at. Yes, we could always use more. However, I think it needs to transition more towards me spending time on, like you said, writing those classes, teaching more, giving more information out and being, you know, being the go-to person to where people are looking for education. You know, listening to podcasts and it kind of being in that realm of like online marketing and all that. Yes. There's so many people that are making six-figure, multiple six-figure incomes just from educational products, just from coaching, just from all of this stuff. And you're like, wow, if you have the ability to um, make that, turn that into a package of some sort, it could really supplement some income or just be, replace your income for that matter whenever you get to that and, age. But, you know, this is one thing where I differ a little bit, Justin, and you have to think about this. Okay. Okay. One of the things that we want to look at is if we're going to make more money, what is the reason we want to make more money and what will we put that money into? Mm-hmm. I'm always looking at if there's going to be a cause that I'm wanting to drive, then money shows up for it. Right. Because a lot of people online will say that they're making all these six-figure incomes, but are they giving you the monthly income or are they giving you the package that they sold that they need to teach for a year as that income. Mm-hmm. So what I'm finding is a lot of untruths in that realm, because as you start digging and really researching, so if I take a bunch of personality profile tests, I'm the realist, okay? Mm-hmm. So you tell me you have a business and you write it down, I'm going to look it up on the Secretary of State's website. Okay. Well, guess what? You're not there. Oh, shucks. Okay, one one thing going. Well, I made, you know, I'm just going to use some of the new ones. Oh, I'm making $10,000 a month. Really? And so did you just make it this month? Because I heard you crying like the next month. You know, if you go in that same feed, it's like the next month you're not, you're crying. But what it is, is they made those, ten, you know, that six figure selling the packages that they have to deliver for the next six months or a year. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm not saying there's not people out there that are doing this. I know there are. Right, of course. But when they're driving it, it's a one-time drive and then they plateau out and now they have to come up with the next stream or the next avenue in order to sustain that income. Yeah. Cause I'm not sure personally if I would want to have to coach somebody for like a year long contract, because I'm sure after that first couple months, you're like, wow, this is uh, a little different than I expected. And there's a lot of whining and complaining and probably babysitting that um, <laughs> you didn't expect when you, when you created this program, I would assume. Yes, because what I hear a lot of them uh, talking about is they turn around and they sell these programs. And then, like you just said, there's no follow through. There's no um, the work's not being done. So then they start saying, well, I only want to sell my packages to entrepreneurs. Well, are you selling it to a busy entrepreneur? Or are you selling it to a not uh, an entrepreneur who's not making any money or uh-huh. a wannabe entrepreneur? Two different markets. Two different markets, because if you're going to sell a package to me and I'm going to look at what I'm going to actually be getting in that package and I'm doing, but I don't even have the time to fulfill all this work that you're telling me that I need to do. Mm-hmm. Was that really a good fit for me? Because right. as I am losing all my coaches and my mentors, I, yes, I still have some that I can, you know, or go tos. However, if I'm looking to upgrade me to the next level, That person needs to come in and learn my business Mm -hmm. and find out where it is that I need help in order to be my coach. Because I I can go out there and hire 20 million coaches, but they will not be a good fit for me at where I'm at in my business and how we're going to grow to that next level. 
And you have to pay for that type of specificity. Yes, you do. And, you know, it's like that person could give me a homework. But if I came into my business and the Internet went down and I got to be on the phone with the IT guy and this is happening and you get a letter, you know, <laughs> for something in the mail and, you know, then they'll tell you at the end of the day when you had to turn something in, well, why didn't you get it done today? And you do because I was in my business. Yeah. I was yeah. in my business, running my business, solving, you know, crucial situations that come up through, during the day. I don't see anything as a problem because the situation we resolve and we move forward and that's how you keep running a business. And that's the attitude you have to have. Absolutely. Well, let's switch gears. We're going to go to a little more on the personal side. You've already mentioned some things. I love asking this question because as, as entrepreneurs, as mompreneurs, business owners, it tends to be we give and give and give. And then we find out like your patients are taking more and better vacations than we do. And we're like, wow, we took <laughs> off five days this month, uh, this year. So what do you do? What kind of vacation are you taking? And is there a way to take more? Okay. So one of the things I, you re I left a job at 27 years, so I actually had six weeks of vacation time leaving that job. Mm -hmm. I didn't want anything less. <laughs> so <laughs> I got used to it. <laughs> well, it's not even about being used to it. It's like if I'm going to make this move, I'm not going to downsize. I'm going to up level. Right. So so therefore, currently, I am almost at the point where I'm at three, probably about three months off per year. Um, whether or not they're situational, my husband uh, recently had open heart surgery uh, last summer. And so that was one that was unplanned for that created, you know, that I did have to take that time off. So I have built my staff to where I am able to take off and leave. I understand that in a real medical, you know, you have to really have something in place in order to have all these people somewhere for them to go or somebody for them to see. But in my situation, I absolutely am an advocate on rest time. If we don't rest and we don't do things to take care of ourselves, we will go into burnout. Mm -hmm. How, what, what, do you work five days, six days a week? What kind of work schedule do you have? What do we call work? <laughs> when you, when you're the business owner and you own, you know, it's okay. So one of the things I do is um, I see clients four days a week. Okay. And I, on one day uh, out of the week, I call it my self-care, my writing day, whether or not I just had to stay home day. So I actually do not see clients on Mondays. And I only see clients from Tuesday to Friday because Friday ended up just being the busiest day in our town. Our town tends to kind of close up on Mondays, but we're actually trying to change that energetics of the whole town. So people are actually going to be opening on Mondays and more people are. I do open. Uh, I have staff here, but I personally am not in here. But it ends up being either whether or not we're dealing with IT issues, it ends up being the re resolution day, like, what do we have to solve today? <laughs> right, right. What do we have to rebuild? Because we are a small business. I mean, we're not. Uh, but if you could regulate those things to like one day or one part of the week, mm -hmm. all of a sudden the yes. rest of your week is more efficient. And you're just like, Correct. OK, that's, that has to wait till Monday. I, I, I'm too busy doing other stuff. Monday's the day we deal with this. Table it if we can. Absolutely. And that you put a priority level on it and you turn around and that's when exactly everything just takes place on Monday while I'm out of the office. <laughs> mm -hmm. What about um, besides work? 
what else do you have on your mind? Any kids, hobbies, volunteering? What, what gets you passionate outside of work? Well, I'm very proud to say that I belong to the Kiwanis International, so I'm passionate about children, like giving back to the community and that involvement. We do have a Brobridge Chamber of Commerce, and I recently, in January, am on the board for the next three years. Oh, wow. Uh, Commitment. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Commitment. So um, that's uh, actually new that I don't think even you knew about. Uh-uh. And um, I belong to the Tesh Project. So the Tesh Project project we have a a newly national waterway well we've always had the waterway but it's now a national waterway and it's called the Bayou Tesh and we are advocate you know advocating to get that cleaned to uh, attracting kayakers um so that's why I've put trash cans throughout the community and communities around so that way the trash doesn't end up in the bayou so I'm very passionate about um uh, giving back to that organization mm-hmm. and um we have a crawfish festival in Brobridge, Louisiana, where I reside, and I do um, belong on the board of the Brobridge. Uh, well, I, not the board. I'm just actually a member. I've been on for a while, but they actually have the up level of the regional board. But we are voting, and so that brings back to the community. I have two daughters mm-hmm. and uh, two grandchildren, but they live around – well. The grandchildren live around the United States, but I do get to see them uh, on occasion. So we make plans and go fishing. So we might get a camp and spend spring break there and get to enjoy them and really um, spend quality time. So, uh, yeah. And I am very passionate about gardening. So my latest project is um, I purchased some land and I'm planting a lot of blueberry bushes and key lime tree and we already had satsumas uh this past year mm. i literally juiced 24 five gallon buckets of satsumas we had one of the best years uh, ever the trees were so plentiful we couldn't even give away enough so i had to start juicing wow. and then planted some lime trees this christmas i was given some pear trees and i really want that land to become something that's sustainable something that it can feed us throughout the year so i'm looking at all the different what we can grow in this area and to harvest at different times. So that way we're always having that nice little stream of food. I could just get off of work and go pick, get me a bucket and go pick up some, uh, whatever's growing and come back home and really enjoy that and then share with people. So that's my vision. And one of the things I don't know if that's going to end up becoming, but it's like, I want to see it as a source of food and maybe even getting children to come out and, you know, Maybe picking, like if we had that many oranges, then maybe getting some children to come out. And that might be that five-year vision Mm -hmm. of what our city or our town wants. We'll have a nice, wonderful harvest of food on that land. Well, there's churches and school groups that have to do volunteering. So, I mean, that's one way that they can learn some lessons, too. I mean, that's that's where my brain goes like, oh, these things need to get picked. These kids need hours. You can't hire them legally, but they can volunteer. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things I'm excited about with the Kiwanis, you know, I recently uh, read, and I I can't quote it verbatim, but it was a statistics on like all the different, you know, the earth to sustain itself, all the different statistics of what we're below on. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Arbor Day, bringing that back in, in 4-H, you know, I was a Girl Scout. You leave a place better than you left it. 
uh, Arbor Day, planting a tree on your land or and make it something that you might be able to eat. If we're always fussing that we never have enough money, this is things that we could be doing to make a difference that makes, you know, in five and 10 years, it changes the way in which that we see things here on, you know, in America. And if you enjoy doing it too, you know, yes, gardening yes. is definitely not my thing. But if it's your thing, then do what right. you're passionate about. Right. But if you had a piece of land, you could plant a plum tree. If that was something that grew in your area, it yeah. wouldn't be that, you know, it wouldn't be that horrible if you owned the piece of land. And that's what I tell people. Just put one or two trees on your land today so it can be a difference you know, put plant that oak tree today because you can't plant it in 20 years from now. And it will also help sustain our earth. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, you said you're married. So what can you do to help keep the love alive and feel connected? Because so many people get divorced. They're successful, but then they're not successful in, in that realm of life. And I hate to see it. So what are your mm-hmm. um, your nuggets of, of wisdom for us today? Well, one of the things that I bring to the table, a lot of clients that come into my office, you know, they start complaining about their husbands and I I do, well, I I do the timeout sign, you know, it's like, I'm like, stop. I said, I'm not going to put gasoline on your relationship. I'm going to learn you. I'm going to teach you how to turn that relationship into what you want it to be. Mm -hmm. And we have to put some time and energy into relationships. We have to just, you know, this is one of the things and a lot of people might disagree with me, but one of the things I learned really young with the, you know, in a marriage, it's just dote over him. All he wants you to do is dote over him. And it's like, just let him know how wonderful he is. So what I'd start doing is uh, I, I like stickies. And so I would put his call, you know, if he was going to make him a hot drink in the morning, I would put the mug, but I, inside the mug actually had a little sticky with, you know, a love note. And then he started doing it back to me. Mm. Ah, ah. So from there, you know, I, I tell people a lot of times, when's the last time you went on a date with some, you know, with your husband or when did you do just simple little things? And it's not the big things, but I love what was told to me one time. And they said, sex starts in the utility room or laundry room. Mm. Explain. And somebody said, yeah. Somebody says, well, the underwears are, you know, if you aren't looking at all areas in your life, okay, and flirting and, you know, if you pass by the washing machine and you're not like tapping them here or, you know, making a little flirt, then it's never going to end up in the bedroom. It starts that that got done in that room. And maybe later on that night, you might get lucky. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. That's real. It's real. So, you know, it starts in the laundry room. It doesn't start in the bedroom. That's the, you know, that's the ticket. We don't, and I've heard have a date night every week, have it, or, you know, whatever you can afford. Sometimes you can't do, but you can do something every week, but it's dating. Don't ever stop dating your partner. That sounds like what you're talking about. Cause you definitely doing those things when you're younger and uh, that first six months. Correct. And then you forget, you know, Oh wait, I'm supposed to still be doing this. And you know, one of the, the most beneficial things I can give out there, 
When I was younger, my husband would send me, you know, let's say the dozen of roses. And then you get home and you crush his spirit because you tell him, that's too expensive. Don't send that to me. You you come up with all these reasons of why he shouldn't have done it instead of just receiving. A lot of us stop receiving. When we stop receiving, we crush someone else's spirit. So we have to come from a receiving spirit and I no longer, if that's what is going to be his way to tell me how much he loves me and his little special. So now since I hush up and I just dote over him and I take a picture and put those flowers on Facebook, it's guess what? I get them just because now mm-hmm. I get flowers three and four times a year now. And I no longer look at that. Oh, they won't last or it's too much money. I look at the heart that did the effort because stop crushing the effort. I love this story. I had a friend and she was in a, a car coming home from her parents' house. There was the husband, a daughter. She was pregnant for a child and they were hit by a drunken driver on the way home and she lost her husband and her daughter. And she said her husband had given her the raunchiest flannel shirt. And she hated that flannel shirt. Well, she said, guess what happened the next five years? She lived in that flannel shirt. Yeah. So, you know, sometimes we have to remember to stop crushing someone else's best effort. Because we don't know. If they don't know better, how how can they do better? We have to just stop crushing whatever the effort is and stop putting it in our head what it needs to look like and find a way to say, you know what? Thank you. I received this. <laughs> right. And the more you get to know the person, the more you can fine tune what, yes. what gift you're giving somebody so that they receive it maybe easier or. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Wow. And that's deep. learning the person. Yeah. Learning the person. Very nice. <laughs> By dry their eyes real quick. Oh, oh okay. We're going to dry We're, our eyes. <laughs> man. Whew. All right, so we're going to, any other comments on, uh, on on that before we switch gears to the last couple questions? No, I think I did a good job on those, huh? <laughs> <laughs> you did a good job. <laughs> I'm going to re-listen to that. So last couple questions. Do you have any kind of morning routine or lunch routine that gets you focused and energized for the rest of the day? When I worked the job for 27 years, I went to work About 18 of those years, I went to work at five o'clock in the morning. I started a routine that I got up at 3.30 in the morning and for a half an hour, I absolutely had a morning routine. I had prayer time. I read certain, um, certain books or, you know, parts of some books in order to start molding my heart into the person that I wanted to become. Mm -hmm. And, um, I still have that practice today. I don't have to work up, wake up as quite as early in the morning anymore. Mm-hmm. And I still have that practice to where I, in the morning, I actually have some type of spiritual time. And I've gone from, I mean, I, I hate to say this, but it's like, I've done so many different things. I don't just stick to only what I've known and what I've been raised with. Mm-hmm. So, Did I do Zen meditation at one time in my life? Yes. Did I read the Book of Mormons one time in my life? Absolutely. I 
did Bible studies, non-denominational for so many years. I've done, you know, I want to evolve as a person to be able to have awesome conversations with people, no matter who they are. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I've versed myself. And, you know, in return, I've been brought a lot of people. So even in my profession, when I'm meeting with someone, if they are of whatever fate, I can switch and have something to speak of with them that I'm not so left field off away from where their center is. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I've done the last 30, 40 years of my life. And sometimes on my lunch hour, I will go in what we call a chi, mas- chi machine. And it just helps you get back into balance and back into center. I might do it for five or 10 minutes. Sometimes I tell people, I said, if you got to go take a nap for lunch, go do it. I mean, if it's 15 minutes, it's 15 minutes. So do something to recharge. And we call that self-care. Mm-hmm. So always do something to do self-care. But yes, I have practiced that. And I think it's an intricate part of how I've evolved to be the person that I am today is the inputs, the deposits that we put in. That's important. That's important. Yes, very important. And that leads me to, do you have like a favorite book, podcast, a blog that that you secretly enjoy and and one that you can uh, share with our listeners? Well, one of my favorite books, and I often, often tell people about, so the, the first one foremost is the Power of Positive Thinking by Norman Vincent Peale. Norman Vincent Peale died when he was 92 years old. However, I find that a lot of people forget how important their words are. And I feel that in reading that book, it opens you up to a lot of avenues that you didn't even think of. And my other one is The Four Agreements. And, you know, I have to tell this to people all the time. It's like, don't take anything personal. Don't take another person's words personal. In the four agreements, Don, uh, I'm probably going to pronounce his last name wrong, uh, Ruel. Um, he, you know, it's so beautiful. And every year I reread that book. Every year I reread it because I think as a human behavior, no matter where we go in the world, and this has actually been researched by psychologists, no matter where we go in the world, everybody faces the same insecurities, fears, no matter which which nationality you are. And in the part of not taking anything personal, you know, your name is a very important name, Mm -hmm. your words you know, are very important. And I just find this book gives you some basis to live your life and to not be so stuck in your head with. I like that. All right. Final question. Do you have a favorite app, blog or podcast again? And it could be business or pleasure. I really like Marie Forleo, probably because she has a lot of uh, enthusiasm and I've watched her through the years evolve. And she's interviewed Richard Branson, Tony Robbins. I mean, you name some of the business icons. And one time I put on Facebook that, you know, a quote from Richard Branson and somebody else put, well, if I had his money and I say to myself, well, if I want to learn how to successfully run 25 businesses, then I think I need to be reading his autobiographies. (laughs) Probably so. So, 
you know, it's kind of like reading those wonderful autobiographies of successful uh, business people. And that's what I've, you know, tended to do coming up. And I, so when you're going to tell me an iPhone app, a podcast, I came to the realization in the last month that I have a substantial library. Mm-hmm. I own the books. My husband has a boat. I probably have books worth what his boat's worth. <laughs> you know, <laughs> a lifetime I'm, I'm, of reading. A lifetime of reading. And you know, when I go down them, I think just to surround yourself around books and being able. And I often tell people, go to the library. It They're doesn't free. mean you have to own them like I do. But so one of the things that I inherited from someone is her books. Mm. So evidently she thought that books were really important to me. So I don't think it's an app. I know that's a new generation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I don't really think it's an app that really calls me. I think it's the books that call me. And I just look back and I think it's what I feel good around because of the fact that I could just walk in a room and say, okay, I need this certain information. You get the book and bam, there it is. So that's like all these little messages, divine intervention, you know, spirit, universal energy, whatever you want to call it. That's Mm -hmm. what I call, you know, I like to tap into. So it's not you know, just a electronic. I think me, it's that good old fashioned reading light and a good book to read. <laughs> I, I used to always have like, I'd go to like, you know, uh, a coffee shop or a bookstore and I'd bring a book or I guess I'd at a bookstore and I'd, I'd just read the books there. But it was almost like a comfort. It's like, oh, I have, I have my book. I'm on an airplane. Mm-hmm. I have my book or I have it on the phone that I can, you know, digitally read it. And it's just like a comfort thing for me. Like I'm, I'm like with you. I, I really love having books and and I stopped buying books for a long time because I was like, I'm just going to go to the library. I'm going to read it once. If it's really good, I can go and buy it. But generally it's a one-time read. You can make notes if you want to and just refer back to that, you know? Yes. And I'm highly encouraging people to, you know, go to their libraries. Uh, We have wonderful libraries and it actually gets some lonely people out. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, like you just said, we don't need to keep filling the landfills up with more books and more paper and cutting trees down. Let's utilize the resources that we do have, which is the lo- public libraries. And just a uh, public service announcement. They actually can just get a book from another area if they don't have the book that you're looking for. Even if you have to wait a week or two, you will get it typically from another library. No problem. I used to go in there and tell them, search the state and find me that book. And they would call me. Two, two days at the most. And guess what? That book was there. And if they didn't have it and nobody in the state had it, guess what? They purchased it. And I didn't have all these books when I was first coming up. I, I'm self-made. I did not come from somebody gave me or my parents had handed me this amount of money and I could go do something. So mm-hmm. I utilized the libraries coming up because I didn't have that luxury to be able to even purchase the books. Yeah. Well, uh, how can people contact you? So we have a website. It's natureslinkwellness.com. And through there, you can go to the contact page and we have all our information there to where you can definitely get back in contact with us. So that's natures with an S linkwellness.com. Very good. We'll put that in the show notes. Well, any closing remarks before we, uh, we conclude? 
I just want to thank y'all for the opportunity of bringing my wisdom and words, you know, to the podcast and just really asking everybody to just start taking one thought of how can you leave this place a better place. I want to read a quote and it stays in my office. The greatest use of life is to spend it doing something that will outlast it. William James. Hmm. How will you leave something that will outlast you? We're going to end with that. Thank you so much for being a guest today. And I hope you have a fantastic 2017. Thank you so much, Justin, and same to you. I really enjoyed this interview. I don't think I have a lot to say, but plenty to ponder this week. Between the advice about appreciating and receiving the gifts from loved ones, ways to give back to Mother Earth, and aspects to consider before becoming a coach or uh, launching an online product. Uh, thank you for your time and your insight today. Again, the show notes can be found at a doctorsperspective.net slash zero seven. As always, travel tip is coming up next. Just want to give a general reminder. The ebook, when it comes out, if you were to go to a doctorsperspective.net on the right side of the screen, on a pop-up on the bottom of the screen, there's all kinds of places where you can put your email. And when that comes out for a limited time, I can send it to you for free. It's not only a book about nutrition and exercise, it's actually like blueprints. If you haven't really been able to stick to a diet much in your life, if you haven't really done much exercise and it's kind of a daunting and you get demotivated quickly, I have steps, implemental steps for you to take to make big changes overall, but small changes to start with to get accustomed to maybe eating less food, to how to build up to 20 minutes of exercise and things like that. So if you're interested, sign up because it's not only something that you could implement for yourself, especially if you are um, not in peak health, but also it's something that you can either give or sell to your patients so that they can have a blueprint for themselves. You can find me online on all the popular sites. The easiest way to do it is go to a doctorsperspective.net. And if you look at the top right, there's all these little social media icons. Just click whichever flavor you like best and it'll send you directly to that page. You can subscribe to iTunes, Stitcher, Facebook, Instagram, etc. I do a lot of travel photos on Instagram, so I hope you like it. As well as Flickr has a wide variety of those same pictures, but a lot more. And of course, I'm very active on Facebook. So connect, comment, and I will respond. Today's travel tip. I've been to some countries where beer is dirt cheap. I've been to others where you look at the price conversion, you're like, wow, it's the same price as America. I don't know about you, but I don't really go on vacation to get drunk. But I do like, you know, an occasional beer. So my point is, if you're on a budget, which most people are on a vacation, budget to have a beer. But you don't have to have like, you know, five or six beers. And... This is more for like the long-term travelers, but you'll see these backpackers in certain countries and they're drinking like crazy at the party areas of town. And then they, they're complaining about the taxi and beating up the taxi guy about their price, but paying like full price for beers. So it's just, I don't know, there's a disconnect there to me. Um, I'm just like, support the local business, you know, eat at the local restaurants. You know, I'm not saying don't negotiate your, your taxi ride, but, um, you know, you don't have to go crazy about it. And like I said, if you're on a budget, just don't drink so much alcohol and you'll be able to stick to your budget because uh, there's other things to spend money on. Buy a souvenir.
we just went hashtag behind the curtain and this episode has come to an end. I hope you got the right dose for your optimal life. Please spread the word about this podcast by telling two friends, sharing on social media, and visit the show notes on a doctorsperspective.net to see all the references from today's guest. A sincere thank you in advance. You've been listening to Dr. Justin Trosclair, giving you a doctor's perspective.